0: It is 2009. You're going to have to listen to me closely because I don't want anybody getting mad at me with my title. This was Darren Shoemaker approved. Our message is called Great Walls with a W Great Walls of Fire. Yeah. It seems that October 8th, in 1957, a man named Jerry Lee Lewis took an expression that referred to Pentecost. It referred to cloven tongues of fire, and he called it Great Falls of Fire. This was a southern expression in our churches, especially in the area of Faraday, Louisiana. And he applied it to his affections for a young girl. Christians in his day got very upset. They called it blasphemous. And, you know, I'll reserve judgment on that. But he was trying to take something from his youth that described inexpressible zeal and apply it to something secular. As I began to think about that, I remembered that the man had been in Bible school and was asked to leave. Then I began to think about all of the other artists that started off in a church. As soon as I mentioned this to Steve this morning, he named a few, and didn't finish them. You know, they say that little Richard was playing the piano in his church. You remember he sang Lucille in some of those songs? Pop, you got them on 45's, I know. He was playing the piano in church worshiping God alone, and the pastor overheard him and decided that it was irreverent and went to talk to his father. His father beat him so badly that he left home. Little Richard found no place to stay the first night. The second night, he also slept on the streets, but in the third night, a homosexual bar offered him refuge. Do you need to guess what determined his future? Then I think about Christ for the Nations. What an awesome school in Dallas. Did you know that Bob Dylan went to Christ for the Nations? Had two years there that were amazing. Some of us got that CD, Slow Train of Coming. His Christian years. But today, not doing so well. Something happens, friends, in people's Christian growth. They miss something along the way. It's not just famous names. I hesitated to name them because at the end of the day, they're human beings that we care for. Human beings that are not done yet. There's still a, a chance, a hope, something to pray for. But when you see a man raised in a house with Jimmy Swagger and Mickey Gilly and all of this musical talent that God wanted for His church... But because we were so quick to throw people out of our fellowships, and sometimes people are so quick to run out of fellowship, the world got something that it neither deserved nor appreciated nor used well. All of those men that I named, all of them are broken in their lives. They're not better off for all of their money. They're not better off for all of their fame. Sun Records did amazing things, right? Offered the kingdom of the world to people. And where are they today? Are they happy? Are they excited about life? A couple that I can think of just thinking of their image, they look like walking death today. And you know what? As a pastor, I see it all of the time. All of the time. The devil steps in and he begins. You remember Psalm 73? He said, My foot had almost slipped until I entered the house of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, there are unpleasant things in church. There just are. And that's because there are unpleasant people in church. Every one of us a work in progress. From time to time, we will step on each other's toes. From time to time, somebody will mean well for you and maybe it just doesn't come out that way. Christianity is a contact sport. When I was playing football, which was a million years ago, and I was never good at it. It's difficult to talk about those things with four-year All-Americans in the house. But there was this guard who I outweighed by about 50 pounds. A tailback shouldn't outweigh a guard by 50 pounds, but hey, we were a small high school. His job was to pull, run down the line, bust open a hole right off tackle, and I was supposed to run behind him. About 50% of the time, I ran him over from behind, even though he was on my team. And that's how the play was designed. He was to occupy the enemy. I was supposed to go around, over, through, whatever it took. And that was just part of his job. Christianity is a lot like that. We don't mean to. But in contending with the enemy, sometimes we get bumps and bruises and hurt, and it is easy to get misdirected. And one of the responses to that is to become self-sufficient. To say, you know, I don't really need any more of that. I've tried the church and thank you, I'm good. Right? Right? Another response is to back completely away from fellowship. When we feel guilty about something, when we're not sure that we're right, but God's doing it, we don't want anybody to tell us we're wrong. You don't want to be around people because they might say something that is convicting to you. When this happens, it makes it hard for us to hear from God. It makes it harder for us to praise God. This is what the enemy wants. The enemy knows if he can remove you from fellowship, if he can remove you from the desire to praise your God, if he can remove your ability to hear from God, he can have his way with you. We were not created to be self-sufficient. We were not created to dwell in despair. And we certainly were not created to be an island. Mankind is a social race. We are designed to interact. We have needs that only other human beings, as moved by God, can fill. Anybody that says differently has just not lived long enough or thought it through enough. But you show me an isolated person and I will show you a miserable person. Turn with me to Leviticus 8. You're there? Codicans is fast. That man's got some nicknames, doesn't he? Big Slice Codicans. Squish. Alright, y'all ready? Leviticus 8? In Leviticus 8... I think we probably ought to start in the 22nd verse. You're going to be with me this morning? Yeah. Yeah. I won't be preaching to myself this morning? It's no. No. been a long time since you heard my feelings and I cried and ran out. We don't want to repeat that, huh? No. You don't want to see that, do you, Elizabeth? No. Then follow along, girl. So in 822, in a good big, a small church? Then yeah. Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. I'm not in 822, but I'm going to flip the page and now I am. (laughs) He then presented the other ram. Well, if we're going to say the other ram, I think we might as well tell you what else was there. The way that Christian fellowship, the way that we come into God's presence has never changed. It's typified through sacrifice. It's a repeating pattern throughout the Bible. Small little patterns that make up bigger patterns that paint a picture. Matt calls them fractals. Fractals. A bull had to be sacrificed. This is the first thing that Aaron sacrificed. He says that the bull is sacrificed for sin. This atones for sin and it gives you a right standing before God in the shadow and type. But it's not the only thing that had to be accomplished. Also, a ram had to be sacrificed so that you could fellowship with God. And then the last one, the other ram that we're reading about this morning, has to do with your ordination, your authority, your power, what the Jews call your shmiha. It means that something has been transmitted from God to you. Now, when I read this, what I want you to understand is this is assuming that Jesus has become your atoning sacrifice. It's assuming that you've been included in the fellowship of believers because He has been your burnt offering, and now we are talking about your ordination, your empowerment as a believer, and how that works, okay? So we're on the third sacrifice, picking up in the 22nd verse. He then presented the other ram, the ram for the ordination, that word is Shmiha, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. You know, I just got to confess, if I were a lunatic like Joseph Smith, and I were going to write a fiction like his other testament of Jesus Christ, I probably would not include something like this. And he didn't. (laughs) He wrote about angels and special glasses and things that pleased him. I wouldn't have understood why the living God would include something like this in His Word. Until you think deeply about a human being. I know none of you saw the movie Meet the Fockers. Right? Because, I mean, who in church goes to see movies, right? Or takes their pastor and his wife to the movie, meet the parents. I loved it. It was so horrible I watched it like 15, 20 times. Opposable thumbs separate us from the rest of the world. Your big toe on your right foot, Gabe provided me a sermon example, is not just called your big toe. It's called your great toe. And it's called your great toe for a reason. Your thumb is important. Your big toe is important. They're important because this is what provides stability for your walk, strength for your grasp. Most of the human race is right-handed. Brad tells me that a select few left-handers are the smartest on the planet, the most gifted, the most leaders. Adam seems to agree with that. Of course, they're all left-handed. But most people are right-handed. So the sign of a man's strength is his right hand. The sign of favor is the right hand because if you are in the majority of the populace, your right side is the stronger side. It's what you would favor doing everything with. So if we're going to anoint the lobe of our right ear, if we're going to anoint the thumb on our right hand and the great toe on our right foot, what God is trying to present, and this was done for all of Aaron's sons as well, is everywhere that you are strong, everywhere that you might have a sign of your strength and self-sufficiency in your life, you need to realize that you were so incapable, so insufficient, that something had to die for you. And it's only being covered in His blood that you become capable for doing anything. So these guys are walking around as a visual example. Can you imagine the children? (laughs) Can you imagine? Daddy, uh, I've seen mama wear earrings, but I never saw anybody dripping blood from their right ear. Daddy, why is your thumb red? Daddy, I know your feet are ugly, but did you start painting your whole toe instead of your toenails? Can you imagine? This was a teaching opportunity. And they did it in Israel for 1,600 years. They did it from the time of Moses all the way to the time of the Judges. From the time of the Judges to the time of the prophets to the kings, all the way to the time of Jesus. In fact, you could find out who a priest of God was at a distance because they wore a mark on them. Don't you wish it was still that way? (laughs) I don't want to start killing rams. But I would be well pleased if the bumper stickers people had on their cars and the shirts they wore were true. In Christianity, we have learned to talk such a good game. But the truth is, the biggest thing that wars against us is our own self-sufficiency. I don't need them! I mean, do you know what that pastor does? I don't need them. Do you know what they did? Do you know how they hurt me? How many of you have carried around a hurt and nursed it like a child until it grew fat and strong and consumed your whole life? How many of you are still wearing scars that are decades old? When do we say enough is enough? The truth is you should look to your left, your right. You should look all around you and realize those people sitting around you are made of the same thing that you are. Dust. And it's flawed. It's flawed badly. Our only hope is to have something heavenly poured in us that changes us. And if you are not pleased with the progress of the person sitting on your left or your right, pray for them. There's hope. We have a catalyst in us called yeast working through the whole loaf. It will change us. There is hope in Christianity for change. Turn with me to the book of Judges. I want you to see what the enemy desires. You'll be in the first chapter. Tell me when you get there. Self-sufficiency, lack of fellowship, can't hear from God, and don't want to praise are a recipe for disaster. It's amazing. I don't have to even hear the reason anymore. When I don't see somebody for a while and then a longer while, then I hear negative things are happening. And then pretty soon, well, the church that they left to go to never saw their attendance either. This, this goes on and on and on and on. And except for the grace of God, it happened to every one of us because the enemy wants to separate us. I'm not saying this is the only church. I'm not naive. This church wasn't even here until we started it. I'm not saying that the compact center is the only church or any other. What I'm saying is there is but one church that God has called you to. And we need to not be so fiercely independent that we say, well, I can be in the body of Christ anywhere. And months go by and we find we're not in the body of Christ anywhere. How many times have we seen it? How many of our friends have we lost in that way? There's an enemy. And the enemy wants to separate us because he wants to kill us. He wants to have his way with us. I'm not trying to increase church attendance. I don't get a thing for the number of clicks when you walk through the door. You know, if too many of you come, we'll have to sit on the floor. I'm pretty fond of saying you're not going to get serious about Jesus, go ahead and leave. We could use your seat. But the truth is, we all care about each other because we're in a family. And we're supposed to. And on your strongest points, we're supposed to remember mercy. Now watch this. In Judges 1, are you there? Yes. Come on, that's good. Bob, I love you being on the right side of the road. Got to help a brother out. After the death of Yehoshua, that word, Yehoshua, is Yeshua. Yehoshua and Yeshua have one letter difference between them and they are both ways to translate God's salvation. You might as well be reading Jesus. If this was translated into Greek and then Greek to Southern English, it would be Jesus. <laughs> kind of like L-O-R-D becomes Lord. <laughs> L-A-U-W-D. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? Not the only. I'm not telling you today the secret to success. The one thing that if you do, everything will work well. I am telling you what should be first in your arsenal in dealing with the enemy. The Lord answered Judah. Judah is a word that means praise. Judah is to go. I have given the land into their hands. One of the most defeated areas in the average Christian's life is whenever things are not bouncing our way, rather than send Judah into battle, we find a way to grumble and complain. Friends, even a cursory reading of the Old Testament, even just a superficial glance, you read a paragraph on every page of the Old Testament, any paragraph you choose, and pretty soon the references will begin to add up. Our God hates grumbling. He hates it. This is why the New Testament tells us to do everything without arguing or complaining. Everything. And yet, our favorite pastime, other than transferal of the blame, it's not my fault, it's his fault. And he says, oh, it wasn't me, it was her. Our favorite pastime is to sit around in a giant pity party and complain. What is so sad about that is if you compare our lives with Christians around the world not a hundred years ago, not a thousand years ago, today, we had nothing to complain about. Not a thing in the world. If we refuse to send praise first, we can't be surprised that we're not getting victory in our battles. The longer we dwell in discontentment, the longer we refuse to bloom where we're planted and only seek other pasture, the longer we repeat the same trials. This is how a 18-month trip through the desert turns into 40 years. This is how a generation that saw the Red Sea split and followed the cloud by day and the fire by night and the power of God all had to die in the desert. You need to understand, complaining, arguing, not praising. It's an enemy of our faith. The more we do it, the more all of a sudden the promises of God get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and the people of God... You know, I used to like Gabe so much, but you know these days... And you're not happy about anything. And before long, you find yourself isolated and lied to and it's as if a bag was slipped over your head and you're being beat. And the problem is the people who would otherwise help you and help you see clearly... You've pushed so far away that they're scared to try to help. The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have given the land into their hands. Then the men of Judah said to the Simeonites, their brothers, come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We in turn will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. Simeon means he who hears from God. Our ability to praise God is closely connected with our ability to from God. Well, I just don't know what the Lord's will is. It is pretty hard to determine what the Lord's will is while you are angry and despondent. You've been in one of those neat, heated discussions with your spouse and they turn and say, you just need to pray! You know, I only know from a hypothetical realm. (laughs) And for whatever reason, that doesn't create in you the desire to just fall on your knees and praise God and pray, does it? It doesn't. What does it make you want to do? Anything but pray. But isn't that the clearest sign that we need to? See, the enemy works to get us to grumble (coughs) and complain so that we cut ourselves off from hearing Him. And there is an enemy that is lurking out there. And he is a liar and a counterfeiter from the very beginning. Listen to it. When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands. And they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. It was there that they found Adonai Bezek and fought against him. Adonai Bezek. Adonai is a Hebrew word. They, They add an extra vowel when they want to write it because not to get confused with this guy. Adonai means my owner, my controller, my Lord, my Master. Bezek means lightning. We find a false God. He's not Lord, but He claims to be Lord. He's not your owner. He's not your controller. He should not be your master. And yet the book of Romans says when you present yourself to someone to obey them, then they are your master. Isn't it funny that the church has learned to say, Jesus is Lord! Jesus is Lord! But then act like Satan is their owner and controller. I was in the church for years that... You could easily get the impression that Satan was the only one that did anything supernatural. We believe God will provide for our finances. We believe that God will deliver us. Help! I did a meeting with fifty thousand Christian men in Dallas. Fifty thousand. I'd only been born again about a year, and we thought fifty thousand Christian men, man, this will shake the earth. It started to rain. There was a storm coming, right? What did Jesus do when a storm interrupted his meeting? Matthew and I were so excited. We thought, "Oh yeah, we'll stand. We'll command the clouds, and they'll split." Man says, "We need to pray." There's a storm coming this way. Not 15 seconds passed, and one of the towers fell. And he said, "Everybody run!" (laughs) A great, great man of faith. Really. What is faith? Isn't it trust in our God? How can we say we are people of trust, people of faith, and then we can't trust Him in our circumstances? We say, well, I know, but... I know, but... I know He's going to deliver me, but... I know He'll come through, but... Be careful, your butt doesn't get in the way. <laughs> There's a quote on our wall at work. Mandy wrote it there. So it's about chest level. It says, when confronted with a problem, start searching in concentric circles of ever-expanding circumference around your own two feet. Most Christians are hindered by our own attitudes, not some overwhelming attack of the enemy. We're not. It's not that a demon manifested last night and beat you so silly that you couldn't get up for church. We're defeated in our own attitudes. And, saints, we have to start to win the battle that takes place in our minds. We have to strain our thoughts against the Word of God and throw out what doesn't belong. Did you know that you're not supposed to even think on certain things? Yep. You're not supposed to. And the longer you dwell in it, the more it grows in your life. If you hunger for righteousness, you will get your fill. If what you hunger for is something else, you will also get your fill. It will come out your noses and produce death in your life. Adonai Bezek is the false god of lightning. Do you have to guess who he is in the shadow and time? And Adonai Bezek is world famous for something. Let us read about that. It was there that they found Adonai Bezek and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Then Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes have I cut off, and they pick up scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. This king was famous for taking people's strengths. The strength of their right hand. The strength of their right leg. The strength of their right ear. And cutting them off. Why? In a purely human sense, just in a natural domination, lost Gentile world. Why would somebody do this? Because these humiliated kings, these kings that are now powerless, are like trophies for him. Look. Look. Look what was created to be royal. What was created to be splendorous. What was created to rule now grovels at my feet. You ever seen an awesome human being's life destroyed by drugs? Yeah, yeah, me too. One of the smartest men I have ever known in my entire life leads the most miserable existence of any man I've ever known. And if it's not the drug of cocaine or the drug of alcohol, it's the drug of self-delusion and pride. You know what? Created to be a king. Created to be a prince with God. But groveling at the feet of the false God of life. Completely impotent and powerless because His thumbs and His big toes have been cut off. That which God intended to be anointed about you. Anointed means divinely enabled. The thing is, is when we surrender our strengths to God, He divinely enables you and He multiplies them so that you can accomplish all that He's called you to do. Mm-hmm. God never wanted you to be weak. He wanted you to be meek. And the difference between weakness and meekness is one is the inability to do anything and just a nervous nelly. But the other is having all the power in the universe at your disposal, but only using it at God's command. Jesus a pretty powerful guy. More than 12 legions at His disposal. But he never used his authority outside of the will of God. That is meekness. So it's every time we take our stand and we fight with a brother or sister and God has not told us to. He didn't tell us to use His Word like a sword to carve somebody up. Every time we walk in and make a snap judgment about somebody playing a piano, we risk handing our brothers and sisters over thumbless, earless, and to Adonai Bizzet. How many do we have to throw away? How many godly people do we have to turn out for the world to abuse? I say no more. I don't want to lose not one more of my brother or sister. Now, does not mean we don't have a responsibility to correct, to teach, to rebuke, to encourage in all righteousness. We do. But there's an attitude in which we do that. We do not approach our brothers and sisters as somebody who has never sinned. Because you have the same blood offering smeared on your doorposts, smeared on your earlobes, as they need on them. So we restore each other gently and lovingly. If this is not the church that you've known, a church that is gentle and loving, I invite you to come help me make this church that way. Because that's what God's called us to be. If what you want is to chew up other Christians, to pick on other ministries, to criticize anybody in authority, go find some other church. You won't be happy here and we won't be happy with you. But if what you're looking for is the community of believers that is encouraging, that is nourishing, that points out sin with passion, but also encourages and strengthens those who hunger for righteousness, you're in the right place. That's what God has called us here to be, a life-changing group of ministries. This is not Stephen's ministries. It's not Piro ministries. Yeah. The ministries are what are out in the street by uh, the seats and then the streets. What we're supposed to do is help raise them up. Moving on from Adonai B's You need to understand this. Any fool anywhere can calculate what he can see. He can, he can touch it. He can measure it. He can quantify it. But it takes special keen insight to place quantity on an intangible substance. It takes something special in you, some eyesight, some intuitiveness to begin to measure, calculate that which can't be seen. With that in mind, turn with me to Zechariah 2. Zechariah, crawfish pie, if he you will be in Zechariah 2. If you don't know how to get there, hang a right until you get to the book of Matthew, then take a sharp left and go back a couple books and you know what? You'll be in Zechariah. You there? Yes. Mandy's there. Ryan's there. Where are the rest of you? Steve right, made it. Come, Come on, there. are you there? There. Alright. In Zechariah 2, we have a most curious Scripture. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hands. I asked, where are you going? That sounds like a reasonable question. Most mankind likes to measure. And the only people that like to measure more than men are women. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I'll tell you why. You ever been sitting in a big cafeteria, and a new girl walks in? All the ladies notice what she's wearing, notice her hair, what kind of purse she has, And you hear comments sometimes, not from our godly ladies, but who does she think she is wearing that? You think she has the legs for that? (laughs) Who told her to put on those shoes? My God, who did her hair? She thinks she's on (laughs) hee-haw? Guys do it the same way. They say, I work for so-and-so. Who do you work for? If you're a pastor, you do it differently. You say, hey, uh, where's your church? How many of y'all running? What do you mean running? (laughs) We don't run. Or handle snakes or any of those other ridiculous things. We measure. We size up. Listen to this. Measuring line in His hand. Where are you going? He answered me to measure Jerusalem. To find out how wide and how long it is. That sounds like a very reasonable thing, doesn't it? Jerusalem here is going to be uh, representative of the body of Christ which is first and foremost comprised of Israel. But in any case, how long, how wide? How do you measure a person's width, height, and depth? Well, there may be a mathematical equation. length times width times height. How well does that work for you? Probably not all that well. You're an irregular shape, aren't you? Pretty hard to measure. How do you measure a man or a woman? As we think on that, keep your finger in Zachariah so you never have to find it again. We're going to be back there in a minute and turn with me to Exodus. There. Y'all are quiet. Are you already mad at me? No. 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 No? Exodus. Good. Exodus 15.
1: There.
0: There. 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 At some point I'll get hungry and we'll stop. But I want you to get the message. In Exodus 15?
1: Yes.
0: Exodus 15. 1, then Moshe and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. You know, it's an amazing thing. It is easy to sing songs when something has just happened in your life. What has just happened in their lives in Exodus 15? They just saw the Red Sea split. What else did they see? Their version of Adonai Bezek named Pharaoh and all of his chariots get swallowed by the sea. When all of your enemies are crushed under God's power, when you've been delivered, what do you do? You praise. They begin to sing praises immediately. And you know what? Their praises say things like, I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. The horse and the rider is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Boy, they felt that in the moment, didn't they? What moment did you first feel like that? Go back in your mind for a while. Was there a moment in which you felt like God had delivered you from all of your enemies? Yes where whatever horse and rider were coming to get you, he squished in the sea and my God, you become my salvation. What changed? What changed? When the Lord is not our strength, when we don't feel that way, who is your strength? Because you kind of have a choice. You're going to be in control of your life, or He is. And see, when we're grumbling, when we're complaining, when we don't feel like our enemies have been cast into the sea, we've become self-sufficient. We're grumbling, we're complaining because it's just not happening like we want it to.
1: That
0: self-sufficiency will cause you to back away from fellowship with other people because they tell you things like, Oh, love, stop complaining. Everybody's sick of hearing it. And it's bad for you. That causes you to not want to praise, not be able to hear from God, and run from the only people that can help you. I'm not preaching to a church somewhere else. I'm telling you what goes through my mind. My wife will say, You know, where." That's not what the word says. And I wish my first response was.
1: Oh, good! Thank you. Life-giving instruction. Tell me more.
0: Give me another. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Most of the time, I'm. Like, yeah, but you know, you don't understand. Well, the horse and the rider have been cast in the sea. The enemy has been defeated. Death can't hold you down. These are why we sing these songs. We don't sing these songs to God as if He doesn't know it. We sing them to remind you. We need to dwell on what is true in our lives. And what is true is what the Word says and not your perception around you. If your perception wasn't flawed, you wouldn't need to be saved. None of you see 2020, even those of you that have had LASIK like me. (laughs) You women look in the mirror and don't see the princess that God called. You see something that is not shaped like Vogue. You don't see in your daily lives the highest and most noble calling of all that you raise up the body of Christ in your children and in your home. You see that you're only a housewife taking somebody else's name and are demeaned and have no life of your own. You men don't see that God Himself put His character, His divine nature in you and purpose that you be His hands and feet. You allow your worth to be defined by your jobs. Mm. You allow your riches to be defined by what you do and don't have. Mm. This is not what the Word teaches. The Word calls you a saint. (coughs) Everyone. I love Aden. He's faithful to call me. And that helps me. Faithful to do that. These days, for whatever reason, I can't remember what I'm supposed to do from moment to moment sometimes. But the brother always has something in the Word that is good, that is a reminder, an encouragement. You don't know how bad I need that. And if I need it, I'm suspecting that you might too. So why do you think the devil tries to keep us separated? Anybody missing toes, thumbs? After Exodus 15, I thought that it might be edifying to go to Psalm twenty five. Remember, you're keeping your place in Zechariah. Tell me when you're in Psalm twenty five. Twenty five. Y'all in twenty five? Good. Now go to twenty eight because that's where you were supposed to go all along. Psalm twenty eight. You're in Psalm twenty five, you gotta repent, change your direction you in Psalm 28? Yeah. Yeah. Starting in 6th verse. Praise be to Yahweh, for He has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to Him in song. The Lord is the strength of His people, a fortress of salvation for His Anointed One. Yeah. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. The Lord will be your fortress. He will be your strength unless you're a fortress to yourself. And your own right arm is your strength. Jeremiah 17.5 says you are cursed if you trust in flesh. Cursed. Proverbs Proverbs says that you are a fool if you trust in men. A fool. How many times have I played the fool and inherited the curse? Mm. Taken a census of what I am and am not able to do in the way things are or are not going to work out in church. I've gotten discouraged and written some of you off. No hope for change until there was change. Mm. And I found out God can do things that I didn't know He could do. Mm. Isn't it that good? Yes you know what's ultimately wrong with measuring a Christian, measuring the body of Christ, or measuring God? Well, the measurement may look like, oh wow, look at all you can do. In the end, it's all you can do. It places a limit on you. God's city does not have walls because walls are a container as much as they are a protector. Why do churches have doctrines? The Word is certainly full of doctrines, but that's not why churches have them. They are to protect us with right understanding. They are to form around us a hedge, an offense, a wall to protect us from getting something wrong. But they also limit us from getting anything right that is outside of them. What if your walls are not placed in the right place? Hey, go measure! See how wide, how deep is John? John size him up, sum him up, determine just what John's capable of. Who of you trusts another to do that for you? I know you and you can't be trusted to do that for yourself. Your walls would be way too small. None of you understand what God has called you to. You still see your life as smaller than it is. We're going to shape the globe for Jesus. I don't care that we're in a storefront church. I'm not talking about a national ministry. I'm not talking about big names and the lights. I'm talking about humble men that go to foreign countries and in this country and shake the world yes. for Jesus. Yes. I won't let anybody measure our walls. Hmm. said that the Lord would be a shepherd. We are eventually going back to Zechariah, but every once in a while I like to quote from the New Testament too. So why don't we go to Ephesians? Great and exalted Preston Coles. That's how you find that. Ephesians. There. Ephesians 3. There, 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 there. There, there. Isn't that a comforting thing you say to children? There, there. It's going to be all right. There, there.
1: You ready? 314?
0: Yes. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Holy Spirit in your inner being. Saints, if you're being strengthened in your inner being from a supernatural source, who can measure that? I can look and say, well, Cody can bench press this much. Mario can bench press this much more. That is not a measure of what God has put in them. Who of you can pray stronger than Suzanne? How do you know? Our God does not measure you by your container. Maybe we ought not to measure each other by our container. in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through trust, faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. How dare anybody measure you and place limitations on you? How dare you do it to yourself? Our God will fill you to the fullness of what? God. You know what that means to me? You are drinking from a glass, and the ocean is on the other side. It's inexhaustible. The question is how much do you want? Or would you rather be self sufficient, thumbless, blind, deaf? Isn't it amazing? That the devil is able to sell in every generation the same lie? That the fleeting glory of fame and self sufficiency, lack of accountability, in every generation repeatedly slowly puts a bag over people's head and they turn out to be less than the kings they were called, groveling at the feet of the enemy? Am I the only one that's ever watched those VH1 specials? You can tell how old you're getting because at some point, MTV is just as cool as it gets. Then you graduate to VH1, and you think, man, that's really neat. And then some more time goes by, and you find the news. And where it used to be that there was a pretty rock star who was current, and then VH1, there's a pretty rock star who is now old. Suddenly the newscasters look nice too. (laughs) Then you start listening to talk radio. This is the progression in a person's life. No? Okay. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. This is what the devil's trying to separate you from. Glory within. Glory without. Yeah. The only obstacle to it is us. I'm curious. Do you think we got time to make one more New Testament Scripture before we get back to our point? Yes. Okay. I mean, it's up to you.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, good. Bob wants to. Angie wants to. We'll go. Take a right to 1 Peter. And after you get to 1 Peter, keep going because we're actually going to 2 Peter. Yeah. <laughs> See, I can trick you, then I can get there on time. (laughs) In 2 Peter, I want you to hear this about being measured. 1 Peter 1. 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for godliness. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by... Evil desires. evil desires. When you think of an evil desire, you ought not think of something lucidious. Although that's an evil desire. You ought not think of something that only Anton LaVey, uh, the founder of the Church of Satan, would do. An evil desire is something that is out of God's will. I'll give you a great example. Is there anybody that would like to see one of your friends crucified? No. no, probably pretty normal desire that if I'm sitting with Casey and Casey says, you know, I'm going to be uh, handed over to uh, Sugarland, mistreated and abused, and uh, they're going to kill me, be a pretty normal desire to say, no, Casey, never, never, right? That seemed like a pretty normal, good-hearted kind of thing. Yeah. And Satan or Jesus said about that, get behind me, Satan. You have always in mind the things of men. An evil desire is something other than God's desire in your life. So an evil desire in the context of what we're talking about can manifest like this. Those people don't really love me. I mean, they say they do, but I don't think it's true. You're forgetting about all the things that they've done over and over and over to show you that you're loved and accepted. And then you think, you know, I mean, I can't can't go back now. I mean, they're all going to think that Something was wrong with me or I was in sin. These are evil desires. And they are enticing us to drag us away so it can put us to death. And if we're honest and we had a show of hands, is there any man or woman in the room that has never had those? Is there anybody here that just every day is a wonderful day? Never grumbling, never complaining, never feeling separated or distant? Matthew and I are in covenant. Our families are in covenant together. We meet weekly to renew that covenant, to talk about our work in the Lord, those things. And from week to week, sometimes we recognize and say, there just seems to be this distance. Let's pray. Let's worship. Because the devil's at work full time to split us up. Because this is the only worship leader in the world? This is the only pastor in the world? No, it's just the only two that he's called to be here doing this. What would happen if One of us got the idea of evil desire. Well, can I only lead worship here? Hasn't God given me this gifting for the body of Christ? I could go anywhere. How many people's lives would that hurt? Is it really any different than your role in the church? God can use me anywhere. That's true, and He might use you nowhere. You better be where He has called you to be. If that's not here, leave. Leave. Leave in a hurry will help you get there. But if it is here, don't be fickle. We need you. You need us. None of us are an island. We're going to get to the place where we understand that the only wall that we have is God dwelling in our midst. In uh, 2 Peter 1, let's pick up on verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and godliness Brotherly kindness and the brotherly kindness, love. That's quite the list, isn't it? I know. You got them all. You're good, right? You're good. Well, that's okay because there's another verse. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Christ Jesus. How can you be measured if what is in you comes from on high and not from you? And it is growing in increasing measure all of the time. Go back to Zechariah 2. A fool can calculate or measure what he can see, but it takes a special person to begin to evaluate something that is intangible and qualify it and quantitate it and think about its worth. But if you think really hard, the very best things in life are the kind that are hardest to measure. You and Zechariah too. Yes. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, "Where are you going?" He answered me, "To measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is." Then the angel who was speaking to me left, and another angel came to meet him and said, "Run! Tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls." because of the great number of men and livestock in it. Walls were meant to be a protection for a city, but it also defined its borders. And if you remove a wall, you would be removing its borders. This city could not be contained within borders. But what about its protection? And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. We have a choice today. Do we build our own borders and our own walls and we say, you can get this close to me and no closer because I'm going to keep a protective barrier between us. Do we lean on our own arm and our own walls of self-sufficiency to protect ourselves? Or do we grow at an immeasurable rate allowing God to be our only protection and our only limitation? Now, a the fire is a curious thing. In Israel, you can go to the mountainsides today. I hope to be able to take all of you there. When you get to the mountainsides, the hills right outside Jerusalem, what you find are natural caves. The shepherds have used these for centuries. In fact, inside these caves, there are still soot covered ceilings where shepherds as far back as Jesus' day met to light their fires. They got out of the cold and wind and rain in those caves. And if their animals needed to be corralled, they didn't have barbed wire fences. They used the caves. They pushed the animals back into the cave. If they couldn't fit them all in, they put a wall of rocks outside the cave half circle, just like around this stage. If the sheep were under attack, the shepherd laid in the gate of the wall. The idea was to get to my sheep, you must go through me. This is why Jesus said he was the gate. And he calls us sheep of his pasture. If you are under such attack that there was a concern that thieves and robbers, like wolves, would come over the wall. What you did is you put the equivalent to barbed wire on it for the day. Thorns and thistles and jagged rocks and pieces of glass and pot shards and everything that you could so that anything trying to go over might get injured in the process, slow it down enough that the shepherd could go deal with it. If you're under such severe attack that that might not work, got a whole pack of wolves trying to eat your smallest lamb. You lit it all on fire and stood in the gap because nothing was coming over the wall of fire or through the shepherd. God is saying you do not need a wall. You don't need limitations. You don't need protection. In your openness, I will be a wall of fire around you and nothing will harm you. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have scattered you to the four winds of the heaven, declares the Lord. Come, O Zion, escape you who live in the daughter of Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says, after He has honored me and He has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. When we grumble and complain, we act as if our Father is not aware of our situation. Apple of your eye refers to the center of a pupil. And when somebody is said to be the apple of your eye, it means that you are looking at them with the most intent focus you can. But that's not what this says. (laughs) This says, if somebody touches the people of God, In this case, Israel, but you've been grafted into that. Not replaced it, just become a part of it. If somebody touches you, it doesn't say you're the apple of his eye, it says it would be like touching his apple of his eye. Well, what does that mean? I tell you what, i got $5 for anybody that can step up here right now and let me poke you right in the eyeball. (laughs) And not just in the eyeball, in the very center of the eye. How many times do you think that the Lord Almighty is going to let Adonai, Bezek, Pharaoh, or anyone else stab him in the center of the eyeball? He will be such a protection around your life that He would no more let somebody harm you than poke him in the center of his eye. I will surely raise My hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Who are Satan's slaves? Everybody who does his will. And in the end, they'll all turn on each other and devour each other. Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion! Sounds like praise! For I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be with the Lord in that day and will become My people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent Me to you. goes on to talk about it becoming His dwelling place. What is the wall of fire for us? The wall of fire for us is God's presence in our fellowship. Fellowship protects us the same way that a wall of fire protects the sheep of Israel. And you know what? When we run outside of it, when we run from it, when we refuse to let people get close to us, we are refusing the protection that God has provided for us. So well, I don't have any of those problems. we are good. Help the rest of us out, because I do. I do. I love to be close with you when you love to be close with me. When you stand off and are distant, it makes me want to stand off and be distant. I love to be kind and sweet and encouraging when you're that way. When you're ugly and say things that are insulting or hurtful, it makes me want to do the same. We're all made of the same stuff. But you know what? All of us is completely dependent upon the strength of our right hand, our right ear, our big toes being completely covered in mercy. Have to be. That's why we wear the sign of it everywhere that we go. And we show mercy for each other. And you know what? When somebody says something that's ugly to you, you just remember it might have been your turn last week or next week. Is there anybody here that hadn't hurt anybody else? Never misunderstood somebody? Never accused them of wrong? When they turned out to be right? All of us do it. But we're the only people in the world that have been taught to care more about our brothers than about ourselves. So it ought to be easy for us to overlook it. I was going to read to you Ezekiel 38. I'm not going to now. But I want to tell you about Ezekiel 38 just for a minute. There's a list of nations in it. The nations are, are amazing. It's Gog, Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Persia, Cush, and Gomer. When you begin to really dig into this, it's something that of course is highly debated. Everything in the Word is... But it looks like Gog is a very Hebrew way to say Rush or Russia. Magog simply means the land of Russia, everything surrounding it. Meshach might be an ancient way to say Moscow. Tubal, Tobolisk, two major cities in Russia. Persia, where is Persia? Iran. Kush, that's Ethiopia. Gomer, Gomer's pretty argued, but it seems that it's Germany and maybe the Celtic peoples you know that every one of those nations, Ezekiel 38 says, is going to attack Israel?
1: Hmm.
0: They're going to attack Israel, Ezekiel 38 says, for a specific reason. They have no walls and they've become prosperous. Hmm. It's almost like the God of gods is tempting the enemy. Oh, look, it'd be easy pickings. Hmm. Sometimes we look like easy pickings to the enemy because we don't defend ourselves. We don't wear facades. We don't walk around trying to look menacing. (laughs) We're meek and humble. But what He promises to do is show Himself holy through all of those nations, those bad nations. Because He is going to stomp a hole in them as they attack the apple of His eye and show that He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. Now that's it on a grand scale. Saints, when we live as His people, the same is true on a smaller scale in your lives. If you will stand without walls, self-sufficiency. If you will stand and simply trust your God, it doesn't matter how many foreign powers come against you. God will simply show Himself holy by stomping on them all in your presence and showing He fights for His people. What is in the way? could be our own walls. Turn with me to Micah. We're going to read a couple more Scriptures. But I promise this one's good. As opposed to all of the others, right? Okay. Yeah. Goodness gracious, great walls, of fire. Okay. Not to be confused with Big Bopper, Mama. Not talking about Chantilly Lace and Pretty Face. We were talking about Jerry Lee Lewis and a saying about Pentecost that got misapplied. Sun Records, right? S-U-N. What would happen if they'd gone for S-O-N records? Mm -hmm. They might have broken records for Jesus. The one cousin sure did. You ready for uh, Micah 2? Yes. Are you ready for Micah 2? Yes. (laughs) Yes. What's that in the road ahead? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Micah 2, starting in verse uh, 12. I will surely gather you, O Jacob. I will surely bring a remnant... I'm sorry, I will surely bring together a remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen. What did we say about a sheep pen? The wall of rocks with the shepherd laying in the gate. Like a flock in a pasture, the place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. The king will pass through before them the Lord at their head what on earth could this mean? Well, if the people of God are assembled with the Lord, they're people of His pasture, sheep of His flock. If we are in the assembly of the Lord, it is not so that we can just camp out in the assembly of the Lord. It's good to be saved. I'm saved. You're saved. We're all saved. Birth is better than you. We're not saved for ourselves. Going all the way back to Genesis 12, Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. The heart of the faith of Yahweh God is not that you would be blessed for the sake of being blessed, that you would be saved for the sake of being saved. When all the sheep are assembled and they are all within the immeasurable city covered with a wall of fire around them, God begins to break open away. It comes through the voices of men like John the Baptist who go out to the highways and byways and teach people to change. Teshubah. And then the Lord Himself walks out among what otherwise would be enemies and teaches His people to do the same and follow. See, it's okay to leave the fellowship of the saints if you are out on a hunting expedition, a fishing expedition. If you are out on the sea of humanity looking for the catch that is the Lord's, He will show you how to do it. What is not okay is to go swim in the Sea of Humanity just to be a regular Joe where nobody knows your name. Where you can do whatever you like, where there's no accountability, no conviction. And how many have done that? See, the Lord will break open a way for you where there was no way to see mighty things. He will walk so that you put your feet in His footsteps and show you what to do all along the way if you want to advance His kingdom. But it's up to you. Do we just want to camp in the church? Do we want to run and hide from the scrutiny that is the church? Or do we want to be a part of a living, thriving thing that goes out and finds Adonai Bezek, doesn't wait for him to come, goes and finds him, and stops him from cutting off people's thumbs and toes? See, I want to build a church that cannot be measured with walls that the Lord is its protector, and that we will follow Jesus out into the highways and byways of the world and rescue those who are being devoured. That is the church of the living God. Not a bless me group. Not a sanctuary. A sanctuary is a place you keep burdens. The church of the living God is something that is full of power that hits the streets of humanity and sees people's lives change. But we are not fit to go out and do that if we have not first learned to dwell and fellowship with each other and place our feet where Jesus heads. So this is the huddle, saints. This is where you go and you get the playbook right. This is where you go and you have the encouragement of your brothers and sisters who are enduring the same battle as you are and their hands are upon your shoulders and you're all in this together. But when the play is called and the team is formed, we go out on the playing field of life and we do what Jesus has called us to do. Him leading the way the entire time. That is the church of the living God. Now, I, I have two Scriptures for you and we close. i got five minutes to do two Scriptures. That can surely be done, right? Yeah. Well, turn with me to Psalm 144. you never read Psalm 144. It's, it's worth, worth reading. A while back, some of the men in the church began taking Krav Maga. Krav Maga is a Hebrew martial arts and it means continuous fighting motion. It's among the most lethal in the world. And as of yet, nobody in our church has been killed from it, so we're excited about it. You're in Psalm 144? Yeah. I want to invite you to do something with me this morning. Okay? Now that we know that our city can't be measured with walls... We're not going to put God in a container. We're not going to put you in a container. We're not going to lean on walls of self-sufficiency. We're going to let the Lord be our protection and we're going to be an innumerable people without limitations. Now that we know that, now that we know when we go into battle we go with praise and our ability to hear from God and we don't allow the enemy to steal it too grumbly, I want you to hear how David says this. A young man pointed this out to me about three years ago and I pray to God he's doing well somewhere in somebody else's church. Praise be to the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Anybody want their hands trained? That's pretty cool. My fingers for battle. Now I get the hands trained for war, right? How do you train a finger for battle? One, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war. How's this work? God can do more with your little finger than you can do with your whole fist, I promise. I promise. And you know what He wants? He wants. He wants the great toe on your right foot. He wants the thumb on your right hand. He wants the lobe on your right ear. He wants whatever about you is the strongest to be completely submitted to Him. And He will train you for supernatural battle. It's not weapons that the world uses. It's weapons of righteousness that tear down pretensions and strongholds in every attack of the enemy and delivers back safely in the fold of the sheep those who have Erred in their ways and strengthens them and encourages them, not ridicules them, not scorns them, not forever marks them as one who who slid like you haven't. Psalm 73 said, My foot had almost slipped until I entered the house of the Lord. Your last scripture comes from the book of Hebrews. You'll turn to the right. Not just my hands trained for war, Lord, but my fingers too. I can't find Hebrews, but I'm getting there. Hebrews the tenth chapter. Y'all there? There, there. There, there. There, there. Everything is possible. In Hebrews ten, starting in nineteen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, if you can't enter the holy place on the ground that's the assembly of the saints, you're going to find it very hard to enter the holy place in the heavenlies. One is a shadow and a copy of the other. And if you don't feel worthy in here, you surely won't feel worthy there. If you find fault with it here, you will eventually find fault with it there. There is an inexplicable relationship there because God has called you to a church and the church is supposed to represent this to you. This is kind of like saying, I'm all right with God. It's man I have a problem with. Yeah. Man is in God's image. Yeah. The two have a relationship. They're joined. You can't, can't love God that you can't see if you hate man that you can. By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of trust having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Now, there's a swerve, and then there's a (laughs) U-turn. If we don't want to swerve, that means veer off course, we certainly don't want a U-turn and run the wrong way our hope, our trust, our confidence in the Lord, experiencing speed wobbles, swerves, is when we begin to grumble instead of praise. When we start to give up our right to hear from God for our right to pick up the phone and complain. Those speed wobbles turn into full-blown U-turns when the wedge gets driven between you and the fellowship and suddenly you're at a distance. Don't look at me too closely. I don't really want to hang out with you guys anymore. And by the way, it's your fault or the pastor's wife's fault. That's usually how it comes. I'm fine with it being Jennifer's fault. It's mine that hurts. <laughs> let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Anybody in here want to be spurred? Yes and No. Where are you going to spur me? And how hard are you going to spur me? What kind of spurs are they? Y'all like to quote the iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Anybody ever seen that done? It's dramatic, amazing collision. Opposite momentums colliding, one yielding to another. See, spurring, iron sharpening iron, is not a pretty process. It's not, but it's necessary. This requires that we clothe each other in mercy. We wrap each other in love. We say what we believe God has called us to say and try to limit it to that and give each other mercy if we don't get it right. But above all, we stick together because this is the ecclesia, the group of called out ones to God's church. So say, well, I can be a part of the church anywhere. No, you really can't. You can only be a part of the church where God has called you to, to be. He is the Lord. He is the Master, not you. If that's not here, that's okay. The church is big, but it better be where he called you. My testimonies that are my favorite are not. I left this church because they were horrible. They were bad. They were mean. The pastor's no good because I know I'm next on the list. I love to hear mouth. But the church had problems like all problems, all churches, but it was growing, it was doing good. We, we felt alive there. But the Lord of Lords says, I have something else for you.
1: Right.
0: We used to ask people, where are you from? Who's your pastor? Did your pastor give his blessing when you left? I had to stop doing it because nobody seemed familiar with the concept. Right. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. My hope is that every time we run into each other, every time, and when I say we, I mean all of us with each other, that we are encouraging one another. That we do not allow the coincidences in our life, supposedly, like the, near colli- the head-on collision that doesn't kill you, to be framed as coincidences. Coincidences. But an encouraging brother says, no, my friend, this is God at work in your life. That when surgeons seem to have saved the life of our babies, a friend says, no, God saved the life of your baby. That when one is down, another who is up can help him up. This is the purpose of fellowship. It's not to measure you. It's not to judge you. It's not to find you less than. It's because two are better than one. There's a better return for our work. I recognize I have weakness. We recognize that you have weakness. Our hope is that if we allow the Lord to work through our weakness, we will all be strengthened together as a community. That is the church that God is building here. That is what we invite you to be a part of. If you see us err from it, love us enough to point it out if we see you err from it, we will love you enough to point it out as long as you will let us. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Eric, yes!
1: Too long to
0: testify! No one can. Baby, it don't got to be quick. These people eat all the time. Hello,
1: mine and I were on the way to the party on the 28th of February, and we had a head-on collision going about eight miles per hour at the month. And we shouldn't have survived. And I don't know why we did, that month old and a two year old my two year old had a scratch from the breach on his car to so see I guess from harness. And we should have died, we shouldn't have been here. I I guess that was the damage currently, but you know, this we're here for a reason. I just want to say that Eric's talked about the fire circle of fire protecting us. <coughs> there was a presence that we all felt right before the impact. It was so fast at the same time it was so surreal and for for we the we said
0: that the airbags had gone off we not so How old is Logan? Logan he,
1: actually he just turned four months now.
0: Four months. So. so four months ago I was in a kitchen in Latin Rouge experiencing a miracle of my parents' house selling. A lot of you came to help me work on that. We got a phone call that Logan was gonna die. Yeah, People crying and you know what, Logan's here. Uh, That's right. about thirteen days ago, twelve days ago, something like that. Looked like Chris might not make it. Right. Or or might make it with a colostomy bag and all kinda of horrible things. Seven days after we prayed, Chris ran through those doors. Yes. Right. A few years ago I was driving down the road and saw a sign that said sixty thousand Texans die of cancer every year. And I started to cry and said, But not my sister, Lord. And I got a phone call that my sister was not going to die right. but would live. I got so excited I wrecked my truck. <laughs> but lots of tow truck drivers got to hear the Gospel that day. And big old tattooed tow truck drivers were crying on the side of the road when she walked up. Guys, the reason God puts us in the situations that He does is so that we can walk out with a testimony of how great He is. That's
1: right. Don't let
0: your testimony be spoiled by your attitude through the trial. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just say, No, like Nancy Reagan. You ready? No more Jerry Lee Lewis messages, I promise. You want to pray? Yes. I want the real great balls of fire to fill the room, the cloven tongues of fire that God speaks about. And I want to ignite the altar that is our heart that we would be all that He called us to be. Mighty God, we thank You for the wall of fire that surrounds us of fellowship. We thank You, Lord, that You have said we are like the apple of Your eye. We lift up Your holy nation, Israel. Lord God, we pray for salvation for all of Israel. And mighty God, we lift up this church and we ask that You would protect it from the enemy. That the gates of hell would not prevail against it in even one person's life. We thank You for the fellowship that we enjoy. We thank You for the love of the saints. Holy One, We pray that we would learn to admire each other the way that we admire You. Because we'll admire You in each of us. You are our King. Thank You for joining us to the family of God. Lord, we pray that You would do so more and more and more. And that You would increase the glory that is You within us more and more. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.